George Bernard Shaw said this. He said, The reasonable man adapts himself to the world. The unreasonable one persists in trying to adopt the world to himself. Therefore, all progress depends on the unreasonable man. Let's be honest, reasoning with people is hard, and many good men foolishly try to do so only through social media, through the the confines of the safety of their computer or their phone, so far away from real human interactions. And yet, if we're going to solve the problems of the world, we are going to have to find ways, practical ways for us as men to step up outside of our devices, outside of social media, and literally exchange ideas with someone else. Coming to terms with an un, with a reasonable solution, it can be exhausting work. Let's be honest. There's nothing easy about this. This is the reason why we've been talking about being a good man, whether by way of taking the aspect of an athlete or a farmer or wherever, you know, what the things that we've been talking about over the last month and a half or so. And yet it culminates to this. These are times for men to step up and do the things that God wants them to do. For us, particularly as Christian men, to do this. We know it's going to be exhausting work. We know it's hard work because we know it even secondarily because people don't do it. And people, even men, good men, sometimes don't do the thing that is going to require more work. They choose the passive or the easy way out. These are days for us to look around, survey the world, and engage in the world in the way that Jesus would want us to. Yet we all know this. We, we all know this. And unfortunately, there's a softness, I believe, that is all over uh, American Christian men today. It's just, maybe it's a whole Western thing, I'm not really sure, but I just see it over and over and over, and it's very frustrating with me. Perhaps it's frustrating with you. It's just this this softness of men today. And it's when men say things like this. They say, well, if I'm nice enough, they will eventually see things the way that I see them. Well, if, if I just wait it out, they will know my perspective. Well, if I maintain a healthy distance, they will notice my way of living and want to know about, want to know about my faith. Or, well, if I just coast, my wife will eventually get off my back. And we pat it with things like, well, when she's happy, I'm happy. Or we say things like, well, I can keep working here. This is fine. It's not going to corrupt my faith. I'm just going to put my head down. No one even needs to know that I'm a Christian. Or maybe we've all heard these things, whether our family or friends, or just coworkers, things like, well, who wants to talk about politics and faith? All it does is just make people mad, so I'm just going to put my head down and mind my own business. This is how we got into the place that we're in. The state of Christian men today is not good, in my opinion. There's so much apathy. Men aren't they aren't making time for true discipleship, so they're they're very immature in their faith. They're very much uh, stuck in in like the infancy stage of their phase uh, of their faith. Excuse me. There's so much complacency that men have lost the courage to stand for truth. They're not challenging one another to pursue Christ likeness through discipleship or mentorship. They're not standing, or excuse me, they're standing behind religious acts instead of Christian principles. So they're just doing all the things that make them look Christian, and yet at their core, they're not living those principles internally and allowing that to be salt and light in the world. Men today are just like everybody else, it seems like. They're just afraid of offending people, so they just choose to offend God. Even when God says specifically what it is that we're supposed to do, we have become so afraid of offending other people that we've stayed silent in, instead of 
realizing that we're actually doing something that, that could be an offense to God, to Almighty God. There's overindulging and overcommitting in uh, a passage of Scripture. I've got a couple today, but a passage of Scripture that is, is just something I've really been thinking about recently, and this comes by way of 1 John two fifteen, and it says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of the eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. So there's another translation calls it the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. These are the the, the spheres, the things that are just holding us back, the overindulging and overcommitting in areas that we ought not to be in. And because we're overindulging and overcommitting in, in these other areas, because the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life, we're not having the, the freedom that we, we truly can possess by bringing uh, the salt and light into the world, by being men who are uh, engaging with the issues of the day. So in many ways, we're undervaluing the role as a man. We're becoming more feminine within the church. We're becoming more feminine than masculine. We're men today, and it just sickens me, getting run over by their mother, by their wife, by their girlfriend, or their kids. And let's be honest, it's pathetic. Some things are worth our time, our attention, and action. Jesus modeled this perfectly throughout his life, but one particular instance that I want to talk about today is when Jesus turns over the tables in the temple courts. And this is what the passage of Scripture says in Matthew 21, 12-13. It says, Jesus entered the temple courts, and he drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. In this moment, Jesus became unreasonable. He, he could have taken a bunch of different ways to handle the situation. He could, have, he could have just tried to reason with them as to why they were being corrupt swindlers. He could have just said, well, guys, the Gentiles can't take part in worship. Don't you think that's a problem? Jesus could have just ignored it and said, well, that's somebody else's problem. I'm out of here. Jesus responded by turning over the tables in a dramatic attention-getting way. He did this in a way of not sinning, and yet it was righteous anger. Well, what was angering Jesus about this, the whole thing about uh, what was happening with the money changers? What was, what was angering Jesus in such a righteous way? Well, here's, here's a little bit of the backstory. At the time, Judea was under the rule of the Romans, and the money in current use was Roman coins or coinage. However, the Jewish law required that every man should pay a tribute to the service of the sanctuary consisting of half of a shekel, and you can see this in Exodus 30, 11 through 16, in half a shekel, meaning it's just a Jewish coin. It became a matter of convenience to have a place where the Roman coin could be exchanged in for a Jewish half shekel. The money changers provided this convenience, and everything would seem right and great. It's like, oh, great, now they get to worship, and now they can have a way of exchanging the money. However, it became very profitable because then they 
actually were demanding a, a small sum of money for every exchange. So you can imagine thousands and thousands and thousands of people come in exchanging money, and it was just this this slow drip campaign that would amass to a lot of money, and it became a very profitable business and one that resulted in fraud and the oppression of the poor because they could dictate what the exchange rate was going to be. So Jesus, in doing what Jesus did in his ministry— he turned over the tables. He, in essence, was turning over the corruption. He was turning over the greed. He wasn't just going to sit and reason with them with words. He had to become unreasonable in that moment, flip the tables over, because Jesus was was bent on that being a place of prayer instead of the marketplace that it had become. And to make matters worse, this area meant that it was cut off. It was a way of cutting off the Gentiles from a place of worshiping the God of Israel, and that's what God had wanted for them the whole time. And just as a little, I think, kind of annoyance, it's kind of like when you, um, if you were to go to the mall, and there was a food court in the middle of the mall, and you were to go from one store to the other store, you're not going to go all the way around the food court, you're going to go right through the food court. So it in in another way was just a way of creating a shortcut. The temple was just a shortcut. It, it wasn't necessarily even becoming a place of worship. It was just a shortcut for travel. So now people were going back and forth and back and forth like a true marketplace, kind of like a food court in the middle of a mall, except they were uh, just demeaning what it was that God wanted. He wanted that to be a place of worship. Again, If you look at the way Jesus responded, Jesus responds in letting us know that he knew and he believed it was a big deal. In your anger, do not sin, gentlemen. In your anger, do not sin. If you are a Christian man, you're called to be a righteous man. Righteous doesn't mean weak, and righteous doesn't mean silent. Righteous doesn't mean passive, because What we need to do is we need to become unreasonable about the things that matter. I have a couple suggestions. You could create your own list, but I have a couple suggestions here and just, I would say, are just marks of unreasonable men, meaning that they're willing to engage, whether in words and certainly in actions, to make the world a better place. And some marks of unreasonable men are these. Sharing the good news of the kingdom of God. Another is holding a biblical standard for himself and those under his care. A mark of an unreasonable man is this, is pursuing mentorship with another man. It's also serving in the local church. It's responding to a human need. It's transforming unjust structures of society. And it's also safeguarding the integrity of creation to sustain life here on earth. So these are some marks of unreasonable men. In other words, these are things that men do and things that men take part in because they are moved by God to make a change in the world. So here's here's a couple things in closing. It, to be an unreasonable man and to get a to to have a man who's going to stop being pathetic and apathetic and who's going to engage and who's going to use righteous anger and in that righteous anger not sin but he's not going to be silent, and he's not going to be weak, and he's going to not be apathetic. I think a man needs to decide what to do and do it. A man needs to decide what to do and do it. 
this is a great thing about the way God works. God burdens people with different things. Certain things that may burden you don't burden me. Certain things that burden me may not burden you. And that's amazing because what God is up to in the world is so much more vast than our individual small experience. God wants all of us to be equipped and engaged and use the agency that he's given us to engage the world with salt and light, to be salt and light to the world, to evangelize and disciple the world. This is this is what God is up to in the world for his glory and for the world's good. So we need to decide what to do and do it. We need to act in a way that is appropriate to the situation. We need to act in a way that is appropriate to the situation. That's what Jesus did. He turned over the tables. He didn't do a bunch of name calling and do all these things. He just walked up. There's two different instances of this. I just shared the one from the Gospel of Matthew. There's another one from the Gospel of John. But he acted in a way that was appropriate with the situation. By turning over the tables, he was in essence turning over the whole system by which greed was growing and people were being manipulated and taken advantage of, and corruption was being had. So we need to act in a way that is appropriate with the situation. Here's the quote from George Bernard Shaw one more time. The reasonable man adopts himself to the world. The unreasonable one persists in trying to adopt the world to himself. Therefore, all progress depends on the unreasonable man. A man must know when to be unreasonable for the greater good. Being unreasonable means being willing to change the world around you instead of compromising who you are because of the world around you. Be unreasonable and make your world a better one.